0: Uh, pastor had a change of plans. He had planned to be here. Uh, then he heard that I was preaching, and he decided to go out of town, all right? <laughs> now he knew about it ahead of time, of course. He had asked me to speak. Uh, to be honest, I think just because of how he's struggling physically, just, just really quite weak and struggling with a number of things. And uh, it's an honor to do so. Uh, they had the opportunity to go and help uh, get Aubrey back to school. And so they made that trip just as soon as church was over. They got started on their way at least soon thereafter. And uh, she has to be back, had to be back by this evening for a meeting there, I believe, on campus. And so Pastor and Paul will be traveling back. But let's continue to pray for Rick and for his physical needs. And, and uh, you know, the Lord still has the power to, uh, to heal and to touch his body. And uh, I think it's good that we ask the Lord to do that. Amen. So uh, pray for Brother Rick, if you would. May I tell you what, his messages have just been, and they're always good, but they've just been exceptional. Uh, the, Lord just, the Lord has been pleased to bless, That's, let's just say it that way, and uh, through his ministry in the Word, and uh, just through his life in a powerful way these last uh, several weeks. It's been so good, and just grateful for the Lord's blessings. I uh, hope you have your Bibles ready. We'll have quite a few verses to move through, and uh, I, I may not uh, finish the message tonight, okay? I'll try to... Keep that in mind, that I don't have to, and uh, to go as far as maybe as what I have. But we'll see how, how it works out there, all right? Did you have a good afternoon? I think you need a medal for coming out on a night like this, okay? <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> and it's just, that's just great to see your faithfulness. I want to encourage you one more time, about halftime. Uh, just hit me this morning, while Pastor was speaking, uh, how often he's used the analogy of this. When we gather together as a church, that this is the huddle of the football team. And I got to think about, you know, a lot of things happen at halftime. A lot of things happen, right? There's adjustments made. Uh, How'd things go? Where do we need to change things? And that's exciting because that's exactly what happened last last Wednesday night in our Bible study. Uh, We do a number of things, and that's one of them. And we're going to continue now for a number of weeks. We'll just see how we may go on indefinitely. Just taking time to share how God spoke to us through pastor's messages, maybe through this message tonight, and then any action steps that we've taken. So it's kind of like a halftime, just making some adjustments. We heard something good today, amen, and then just to see what the Lord's going to do with it in our lives. So welcome you. hope you'll come out. Join us at 6 o'clock. We get started a little bit after 6, and uh, we have a prayer time and, uh, where we're able to voice request folks to pray together. And that's an important part, obviously, of what we do, too. So come on out and join us for halftime, all right? Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. All right, now, some of you, I'm going to take you way back here. A book came out many years ago, 1972, to be exact. Man, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? I was alive back then. (laughs) That was when I graduated from high school. All right, 1972. By a gentleman named Hal Lindsey. He had a couple of really big-time books that hit the market. And one of those books was entitled, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. Now, the late, great Planet Earth was another one that he was very well known for. Um, a lot of you may not, they may not register with you, but it, it hit the market and it was big. Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. Now, I can't say, I, I don't know that I can say that I read it, okay, can't remember that far back, to be honest with you, all right? 1972, high school. But that title sure caught the attention of a lot of people, and it speaks to a truth of which we need to be reminded as brothers and sisters in Christ. Satan is alive, and he is well on planet Earth. Okay, we know that. Uh, the Bible tells us much about Satan. It tells us what his ultimate end is going to be. The Bible tells us in Revelation 20.10, you don't have to turn there, but it says this, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And all God's people say, Amen. We rejoice in knowing the ultimate end of Satan. And I make this statement, and I believe it resonates with all of my brothers and sisters in Christ a particular occasion comes back to my mind, a very difficult day for us, when I expressed these very words because of a tragedy that had happened in our family back when we were living in South Carolina. Received a phone call one day of a family member that really almost just, just really escaped death uh, in a murder situation. And I remember Kip and I standing in the kitchen or there just outside the kitchen of our home And just hugging, and I just made this statement. I said, I hate the devil. I hate the devil. I hate what he does in people's lives. And I know that resonates, and you agree, amen? We do. We hate the devil and what he has done and what he is doing. The Bible also, though, tells us not only about his ultimate end. It tells us what he's presently up to. What is Satan doing? And what's he going to continue to do until that day of judgment? Satan is alive and well on planet earth. Well, one thing we know is this. All right? And this is just by way of introduction. What is he up to? And what is he going to continue to do until his his final day of judgment? I believe we can say this. One thing he does is he works to keep unbelievers from coming to the truth of the gospel. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the prince of darkness. Anytime the light... I believe, is brought to that darkness, there is satanic opposition. There's a battle. There's an invisible battle that goes on when the gospel is trying to penetrate his kingdom of darkness. Now, the Bible says this. You're familiar with this? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, speaking of Satan... Hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I mean, there's no question about it. Satan is involved in trying to take as many people as he can to hell. That is his. one of his goals. That's one of his the things that occupy him right now, today. And as I said, every time I believe an effort is made, think about this now. Every time an effort is made to get the gospel to an unsaved person, I believe there's a spiritual battle that takes place. And I think the Word of God substantiates that. We see it so plainly, we're going to see it tonight in an instance that happened in the New Testament. I never will forget, years ago, after my brother was saved, he, uh, he was a musician and had a rock band, and, and uh, they played, well, extensively. And they were the house band for, for a, a place there in our hometown. Where they, they played, it obviously, every week. And uh, he had a, a friend that became a friend of mine, even though my brother was six years older than me. His friends became, you know, my friends in a way, even though I was a little kid, a younger brother. And he had an unbelievable pianist, uh, keyboardist, phenomenal musician, just absolutely talented, just unbelievably so. A uh, funny guy, just a lot of fun to be around. But one day, after my brother trusted Christ his Savior, I remember this, we were in the living room of my mom's home, and Dave was there visiting with us. And my brother and I began to talk to Dave about his soul. And Pat had such a passion for unsaved people, and especially his, his buddies that he had known before he was saved. And uh, as we sat there with Dave and shared the gospel with him, and began to plead and urge him to come to know Christ as Savior, I've never had this to happen before and never had, haven't had, happened since. But Dave, just without any warning on our part, he noticed that what was going to happen. He abruptly stood up. My brother and I are just right there in front of him talking to him in my mom's living room. He just abruptly stood up and hastened very quickly out the door without saying a single word. He left. Now, I've, I've never seen that happen, like I said, before that or since then. But I know that there was a battle going on. There was a warfare taking place for the soul of that man. And I believe it happens every time the gospel is presented. So we know Satan is actively trying to keep unsaved people unsaved. He is actively involved in blinding them. Now, here's a second thing, just in a broad way, again, by way of introduction, that we know about what Satan's up to right now. He is actively engaged in hindering the work of God in and through the lives of believers. Satan is alive and well. He is actively working to hinder the work of God in your life, in my life, through your life, and through my life. He is real. He is at work. He is our adversary, as the Word of God says. Listen to these verses here, if you would. Look at them with me. On the screen, I believe you'll have these. First Thessalonians 2, Paul says this. But we, brethren... Being taken from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart, we endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Now look at the statement. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But what? But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Now, we know this verse. A while back, Pastor brought a message, or maybe two on this, writing to the church in Corinth. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, concerning the ministry opportunity that he had in Ephesus, he made this statement. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. When God has a great door that's going to be effective, and it's going to be powerful in the reaching of unsaved people, you can count on it, there are going to be many adversaries. There are going to be many adversaries. Why? Because Satan's alive and well. On planet earth. We can see from the Word of God very plainly that He is involved in hindering the work of God in and through the lives of believers. Now, this passage is very familiar. Listen to this. Ephesians six, verses ten through twelve, to the believers in Ephesus, after they came to know Christ, he writes this Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. The word there is Methodia of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul was writing to these recent converts and he's trying to urge upon them this reality. There's a warfare going on. For the for your soul for the not for the eternal destiny of our soul, but for the the substance of our soul, for our lives, and for our ministry with Christ and for Christ. He says, you've got to realize this, There's there's a battle taking place. There is a spiritual unseen battle taking place in this world. Lester Roloff, and that may be a name that some of you, again, a little bit younger don't know, maybe a lot of you do, but he had a song called Run If You Want To, Run If You Will. Remember? Some of you know that. Here's what one of the lines said, and you can still hear Lester Roloff singing this if you ever heard him sing it. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. That that was a song I used to hear him sing at Temple when he'd come there with the girls from the home. Yes, you know what, folks? Satan is alive and well. He is alive and well on planet Earth. Now, tonight we're going to look at a story in the New Testament where some believers experienced a definite time of opposition from Satan. And I want us to look at it and maybe take from it some lessons, some practical things that will help us, maybe encourage us, maybe prepare us for what maybe is going to come our way as we endeavor to make a difference for Christ, to allow Him to live His life through us, to penetrate the darkness with the gospel. It might be where you work, it might be in your neighborhood, it might be in the Good News Club ministry at McDonald Elementary, it might be right here at the church, but you have a passion for Christ, for His kingdom, you want to make a difference then you got to know, right? we got to know there's a target on your back. You have an adversary, you have an enemy, and he's working to hinder your life and your ministry. Now, take your Bibles, please, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, very familiar passage, and we'll get started here tonight. Man, these were exciting days in the New Testament church. Jerusalem, the church there, was just, man, it just exploded, didn't it, right? But it's interesting, a shift began to take place, and a city called Antioch had a thriving group of believers. And really, the church at Antioch is where the mission movement kind of was birthed, all right? Phenomenal church, the church at Antioch. So, if if you have your Bibles, let's read the entire passage first. Then we'll go back and look at some things just in detail, maybe a little bit closer up. All right? Acts 13. Now, I think you'll have these on the screen, but if you have your Bible. Now, there were in the church that was Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, Simeon. That was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and menaean Interesting statement here we're going to come back to, which had been brought up. With Herod the Tetrarch, and another man was there, Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereinto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, we ordinarily associate this, of course, with the first missionaries being sent forth. Verse 4 says, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. And from thence they sailed to the island of Cyprus. When they were at Salamis, a city there in Cyprus, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. There were Jews on the island of Cyprus. Multiple synagogues, enough to have multiple synagogues. And this observation is made, we don't have time to spend on it tonight, they also had John, John Mark, cousin to Barnabas, okay, as their minister, as their assistant. And when they had gone throughout the entire island, they crossed it from east to west under Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, that's Similar to being like a governor. He's overseeing the island. His name is Sergius Paulus. A prudent man. He was an intelligent man. Now look at this. He called for Barnabas and Saul. And desired to hear the word of God. Now think me for just a moment. Before we go any further. Here's an unsaved man. That has gotten word somehow. About this message that these men have brought to the island. And we know God is piquing his curiosity. He wants to hear more because God's seeking that man. He desires to hear the truth. Now, simple thought. We're going to see it happen. But based on what we've already said, we know what's going to take place. Because here's an unsaved man wants to know more truth. What's Satan going to do? Is he going to stand by? I don't believe so. I don't believe he ever does. Anytime the gospel is being endeavored to to be given to someone, there is a satanic warfare taking place. We don't see it, but it's happening. And it happens right here, and we do get to see it. Let's continue reading, if you would, please. Verse 8. But Elimus, another name given to this sorcerer, the same gentleman we read about a moment ago, for so is his name by interpretation, he withstood them, Paul, Barnabas, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, we'll say more about that in just a minute, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on Elimus. Elimus, all right, maybe I'm pronouncing it the wrong way there. but And here's what Paul, Saul, said. O, o full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, Wilt thou not cease to pervert the ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone, some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, this governor of the island, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Last verse, 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, here's the setting. Let me just revert, review it very briefly. Paul and Barnabas have just been sent out from the church in Antioch on their first missionary journey. From Antioch in Syria, that's where it's at, they went down to a city called Seleucia. It's a seaport about 16 miles from Antioch. But from that seaport, then they sailed to the island of Cyprus. Now, after landing at the city called Salamis on the east coast, they visited in various synagogues and preached the word there. It's interesting. You know this already, but it was a custom in Jewish synagogues for any Jewish man to be given the opportunity to read or to expound the Scriptures. So he would go there as a Jew, Paul would, excuse me, he would go there and take that opportunity to share the gospel with the Jews because he would be permitted to speak there, all right? Now, we've already read this, but John Mark at this time was serving as their assistant. In going to the synagogue first, Barnabas and Saul were fulfilling the divine injunction that the gospel should go to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. And then, as I said, from Salamis, they worked their way all the way across the entire length of the island to the west coast. Now, it's very interesting. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but if you'll go back to verse 1, okay? Look at this statement here about this man, Menaean. i pointed it out to you. just brought some attention to it a moment ago. Down near the end of verse 1, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is interesting because, because of pastor's messages the last couple Sunday nights about how because of Paul being in prison... He was able to reach some of Caesar's household with the gospel. Remember that? That's amazing. That's just simply exciting and amazing, isn't it? You know what we're reading right here? This Menaean, the phrase there had been brought up with, it was common, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, it was common to that for that word to be used whenever a young man was about the same age as some of the royal court and would be trained possibly... At the exact same time, by the exact same person, as someone in the royal family. Herod the Tetrarch is Herod Antipas. Okay? He was the one that had John the Baptist slain, beheaded. He, he was the one that was there in Christ's trial. His father was Herod the Great. And they said, well, what's the significance of all that? I, I just like the fact, hey folks, you know what? The Bible does say... Not many mighty are chosen, but there are some, right? And so the gospel, how exciting this is. The gospel was not only reaching poor people and those that were outcasts of society. The gospel was penetrating even to the hearts of people who were in government, who worked in Caesar's household. The the life of a young man who went to school possibly with Herod and Antipas. All right? Just think about that. He came to know Christ as his Savior. So while there's one man that's vilely wicked, there's another man that's sold out totally to Christ. Now, let me just make a practical application right here, okay? And I hope this will help all of us. I don't know what it is about the way we think sometimes as Christians, but I'm guilty of this. I believe you are too. Why is it that we think that we could never speak to a doctor about Jesus Christ? I mean, what, what's, what, what is it? Why, why is it that we think that we could never speak to a wealthy businessman here in Huntsville and share the gospel? Why, why is it that we think that we could never witness to our employer? Yeah, we have all these thoughts, don't we? Like, well, they're just, they're, they're, they're so wealthy, they would not have time for what I want to share. They're so important. I'm intimidated by that. But folks, I just, I get encouragement from this, okay? And you know, if you stop and think about it, let me ask you tonight. Don't raise your hand, but anyone here tonight... Know a doctor who has a passion for Jesus Christ? I do. Now, you know what that tells me? When I go in to see a doctor, he's no different than that doctor that loves Jesus Christ. He can be reached with the same gospel that my friend was reached with. Amen? So listen, let's not allow our flesh and Satan to keep us from witnessing to wealthy, important people of status. They need Christ. They're just humans like you are and I, like I am, right? We just need to remind ourselves of that. And sometimes you might, maybe it's a, an athlete who's just extremely well-known. You know any athletes that have a passion for Jesus Christ? You know any high-ranking military people that are very, have a prestigious place? But do you know any of them that love Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah. Have a passion for the Lord? Absolutely. You guys do. I've heard of them through the years. Known some guys in the military that just they are consumed with Jesus Christ. Well, what's that do for me? That encourages me that even though I might have an occasion to cross paths with a general, I can still give him a gospel track. I can still talk to him about Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel is able to reach him just like it is the poor child in McDonald Elementary School. There's no difference. May we be encouraged with this. i I'll, I'll never forget. I think I've told you this story before. Spending more time here than I meant to, but we'll we'll just cut it off, okay? <laughs> but years ago, I think it was while we were on deputation, and sometimes churches, they take missionaries that come to the church, take them on tours of the city and tours of important places, and it was a, it was a blessing. We, just, we got to see and do a lot of neat things. And uh, one of the churches, matter of fact, I believe it was Daniel's home church, where Johnny Barker is the pastor. Uh, If I remember correctly, now, okay, again, it was a long time ago, but anyhow, that's not important. They were going to take us on a tour of the Capitol building in Charleston, West Virginia, okay? And no, it doesn't have wheels, okay? It's a real nice building made out of stone, all right? Somebody said one time the governor's mansion burnt right down to the axles in West Virginia, Okay? Yeah, no, we do have a lot of trailers, that's for sure, right? Excuse me, mobile homes. All right, not trailers, mobile homes. But um, they were going to take us on a tour. And for some reason, y'all remember this story? The Lord just kind of impressed me. He said, you know what? They're going to take you down there, and you're going to be in the governor's office. Governor of West Virginia might be there. You ought to give him a gospel track. Oh, no, man. Come on. Okay, no. All right, not serious here now. Okay, the governor, the governor of, of a state, I didn't want to do it. I did not want to do it in the flesh. I struggled with him. Finally, I, I put some tracks in my pocket. You know, if if we don't put tracks in our pockets, then we don't have to worry about giving them out, do we? Right? Does your flesh ever think that way? <laughs> my flesh does. If I don't have them in my car, I don't have to worry about giving them out, right? I, I mean, my flesh just works that way, folks. I'm just being transparent with you. It really does, okay? But boy, the Lord wouldn't let me away from this, and so I took a couple tracks, put them in my pocket. We went on the tour. They led us, and sure enough, we walk into the governor's office. Secretary is there. She apologizes. Says, I'm sorry, the governor is out. And I go, Whew. I am so glad he's out. Okay, he's not here today. We, we toured a little bit, walked around. Leaving the building, I start down this real long sidewalk. And I see two men on the other end of it coming towards me. One is a state trooper. The old one, governor of West Virginia. <laughs> and I got to tell you, the closer we got... The, more, the stronger the battle raged in my heart as to whether or not I was going to be obedient and realize this man is just like any other man. The Lord loves him. The Lord died for him. He needs the gospel. Or I was just going to be ensnared by fear and go on my way. And it was pretty intense. I didn't want to do it. I was scared, nervous. But the Lord gave me the grace. And I stopped both of those men. I said, sir, could I speak to you just for a moment? I said, all I'd like to do is I'd like to share a message with you Reached in my pocket and handed the governor a track, and I said, A message that's changed my life. Just like to ask you to read this sometime. That's all I did. That's all. But I got to tell you, I walked the rest of the way down that sidewalk with a little bit lighter step, saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping me do that. Now, point being this, guys, let's not be afraid to share the gospel when we go into doctor's offices. They need Christ. They need Christ. Just like anyone else does. Amazing that Manan, probably, good chance, raised right up alongside of Herod, the son of Herod the Great. Someone reached him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Think about that. Somebody in that wicked family is going to be in heaven one day. Yeah, because somebody shared the gospel with him. Well, that, that's pretty neat. Okay, I wanted to point that out to you. Another thing, go back to verse 5 if you would. I hope this will be an encouragement to you. I think it's a worthy observation. Verse 5 says this in Acts 13. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And then this just observations made. And they had also John to their minister. Now, here's what's interesting about this verse. can't be dogmatic about it, but it's interesting. It does not say, does it? That a single person came to know Christ in the city of Salamis. When they preached in the synagogue. It just simply makes this observation. Again. They preached the word of God in the synagogues. Plural. Of the Jews. No indication that anyone came to faith in Christ. Point being this. Okay. Success. And we've heard this so much here. And I appreciate it from our pastor. Success in the Christian life. Folks. Listen to me. It's not measured by results. Success in the Christian life is measured by obedience. Obedience. Paul and Barnabas were obedient to preach the gospel in those synagogues. As far as we know, no record given to us of anyone coming to faith in Christ. Hey, listen, I hope that's encouraging to you. I know, I know how some of you feel. I know how some of you think because I feel that way and I think that way sometimes too. I've given, I've given out so many cracks. I've tried to talk to so many people about the Lord. and It just seems like nobody's getting saved. Never see anyone saved. And we get discouraged. We can, we can begin to think it's just not worth it. But folks, success in the Christian life is not based on results. It's based on obedience. Listen, think about this. You know this already. If success is measured by results, then Christ himself at times was a failure. Are you with me? Because not everyone he conversed with about the truth responded and received it. Right? So if we measure success by results, we're going to get all out of sorts here, okay? We're going to walk down a lot of wrong roads. <laughs> and besides, it will bring discouragement upon us. So I, I like that. Praise the Lord for that truth. I'm glad that, that, that observation is given to us. Just simply, they preached there, but maybe they didn't see any results. Listen, what are you doing? What are you doing that seems like you don't see any fruit from it? What have you been doing that it seems like God's not working? God measures your success, if we want to say it that way, by your obedience. Yeah, He smiles upon your obedience, regardless of the results. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Now, here's the simple points for the remainder of my message tonight, as far as we'll go. It's just worded very simply, okay? We're going to look at four things. I don't think we'll get to all four of them tonight, but... First of all, the opposition seen. Number two, the opposition personified. Number three, the victory seen. Oh, I'm strange. my voice is changing on me here. Victory, okay. <laughs> Second childhood, Eric, okay. Here we go. The victory seen, and then fourthly, the victory personified. Simple, those four points. Now, here we go. The opposition seen. We've already read the story, so I hope it's fresh still on your minds about what happened here. And uh, stay with me, if you would, as I kind of take a little bit different track here. I want you to notice three things about these believers who were experiencing satanic opposition. Now, first of all, are you with me? Do you agree that we are seeing satanic opposition take place here? Amen? We are seeing that. I simply want to point out something again that I hope will be a blessing and encouragement to all of us. I want you to notice three things about these believers, Paul and Barnabas, who experienced satanic opposition. And then I'm going to tell you why I'm pointing those three things out to you. First of all, and this is important, these people who were experiencing opposition in their lives and ministry, they were Holy Spirit-filled believers. Hey, look with me please in your Bibles at verse 9. Acts 13, verse 9. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, and what's the next statement say? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul was surrendered, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, what about Barnabas? Well, for Barnabas... We just have to go back a couple pages a little bit earlier in the history here. Look at Acts 11, if you would. And uh, look at verse 24, talking about Barnabas. Here's what it says. For he was a good man, next phrase, what's it say? And full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Simple thought, I want you to think about this. These believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet, they experienced Satanic, concrete, harsh, real opposition. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe, I think probably you have. Sometimes committed believers, people who are seeking to make a difference for Christ. They want their lives to count for eternity and for the kingdom. They can begin to feel something must be wrong in my relationship with God because of how much opposition they're experiencing. And there must be some sin in my life. There must be something wrong because everything's falling apart. Things are just not working out. I mean, everything's caving in. And they begin to wonder, is something wrong in my life? But could I make a statement here tonight? I hope it'll be encouraging to you. My point tonight in stopping right here and dwelling on this is to assure you that spiritual opposition is not an indicator that something's wrong in your life. Actually, it's an indicator of something right in your life. Did you hear that? Spiritual opposition is an indicator of there's something right in your life. If there ever was a man whom Satan attacked, and you'll have to agree with me on this, it was a man by the name of Job. You agree? And yet, what does the Word of God say about that man? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. He hated evil. And yet, did Satan attack his life? Absolutely. Absolutely. So first of all, simply notice, (laughs) these people who experienced satanic opposition in their lives and ministry, they were spirit-filled believers. Number two, they were doing the very thing God wanted them to do. Go back, Acts 13, verse 2. How do we know they were doing exactly what God wanted them to do? Well, the Bible tells us that. Look at verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord, the church in Antioch, and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. And there's no question about it. Okay, they were doing what God wanted. Wanted them to do. Look at verse 5. Or verse 4. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Departed unto Seleucia. They were sent by God. They were where God wanted them. They were there. They were doing exactly. About to get ahead of myself here. They were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. I remember years ago. Never will forget this. A brother in our church here. Had been wrestling with a decision. Of obedience to Christ for a long time. And it was a huge step of faith for him. I won't tell you anything about it, just other than that right there. But I remember months and months and months and months and months past. Struggling, man. Struggling with taking a step of obedience. I knew what it was. He he shared it. Other people in the church knew about it besides me. I don't remember how long, but it went a long time. I would say at least over a year. He finally surrendered and was obedient to Christ. It was a great day. That was a great day in our church. That week, I got a phone call from him. He said, Tim, Brother Tim, what in the world is going on in my life? He said, since last Sunday, Tim, he said, everything, everything seems to be against me. Just since last Sunday, he said, I can see just this week, this very week, concrete things that have just absolutely gone wrong in my life. What in the world has happened? Hey, folks, I believe I know what had happened. He was drawing the attention of the adversary. There was spiritual opposition going on in that brother's life because he had taken a step of obedience to identify himself with the cause of Christ. It's going to happen. It's going to come. You know, some Christians sometimes, maybe some here, that this has happened to you. They quit teaching a Sunday school class, they quit singing. Because they incorrectly assume that the difficulties that they are having must mean that they're doing the wrong thing. I mean, there's just so much going wrong, I've got to be doing the wrong thing. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. No, brother and sister in Christ, no. We have example after example in the Word of people doing exactly what God wanted them to do. And there are all kinds of satanic opposition taking place. Please be encouraged with that. Hey, you know this already. You want to do a good read? And it's it's, it's exciting, it's an easy read about someone who experienced satanic opposition because they were making a difference for Christ, you ought to go back and just read Nehemiah 1 through 4. Wow! You're talking about concrete flesh and blood examples of experiencing opposition because of doing a work for Christ. You'll enjoy the read, okay? We don't have time to do it tonight. I just encourage you to look at Nehemiah, especially chapters 2 and chapter 4. All right, so first of all, these three things about these people that experienced satanic opposition. Number one, they were filled with the Spirit. Number two, they were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. Third thing, they were exactly where God wanted them to be. We've already seen that. They were exactly where God wanted them to be. we read it. They, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. They were being led by God through His Spirit To go exactly where God wanted them to be. Now, I want to be real careful here, and I don't mean to broad, you know, brush here, take a wide stroke and just include everybody and everything. I don't mean to do that at all. So I trust you'll understand where I'm coming from on this. But how many times, wow, (laughs) how many times have people in the ministry walked away from ministries? Because they began to think, I can't be in the right place. There's just too much trouble going on here. There's too much opposition. I cannot be, I can't be where God wants me to be. And so, what do they do? Well, they they pull up and they leave. Now, I'm not going to say that God would not ever lead someone to leave a ministry and go somewhere else. I'm not saying that. I know you understand that. I hope you you do. The man... It's easy to think when you're in the midst of the fire of opposition, it's easy to think, man, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> this, this can't be where God wants me to be. But also, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know that I think it's real common, too, for brothers and sisters in Christ to leave churches for the same reason. Too much opposition. I can't. This, this is not where God wants me to be. I can't be here. Now, again, I'm trusting you to take this in the spirit that I that I want to, that I have and that I want to convey to you, okay? I'm not saying that God would never leave, lead someone to leave a church. Hey, i got to tell you something kind of funny about what happened last week. We was over at McDonald Elementary School. It ties in right here. I was telling Kip about it yesterday, but it was. We were over at McDonald Elementary this past Monday, and uh, little Cheyenne that comes here, Cheyenne and her sister, and we love them to death. I tell you what, those are some of the sweetest girls and uh, they're a joy to be at around with club. They're a joy to have here in church. They come up and give you hugs. They're excited, man. They love this place. I remember walking up to Cheyenne one day, back before Christmas, and she said, I'm a fifth grader. I said, oh, no, Cheyenne. Doggone. I said, that means we're going to lose you. She said, oh, no, you're not. She said, I'm going to come to church here all the time. <laughs> all right. So I was thinking about the club. She's talking about church. So anyhow, Cheyenne's standing out in front of the school last Monday, and we're saying goodbye to the kids. They're getting in their cars. And Cheyenne says, boy, you know what? We need a whole lot more of these kids to come to church with us. Wow. I said, boy, you're right, Cheyenne. We do. We need need that. And then I made this statement. I said, but you know, now if they're in a a church and uh, we don't want to take them away from another church. Now, if they don't have a church, we'd love for them to come. And boy, she set me straight. She said, well, I came from another church. (laughs) I didn't know what to say. She had me, man, okay? She had a good point there. She had left the church to come to our church, okay? But anyhow, I, I trust you to understand what I'm trying to emphasize here. We just have to be careful in not thinking that we're in the wrong place, that we can't be where God is because the opposition is just too strong. Um, I, I think I've told you this before. I'll try not to be lengthy with it. But you know, in my heart, I've been asked a lot of times through the years, do you, you know, do you think, or several times, let me say it that way, do you think you, that really God did want you to go to Slovakia? And, and I do. I believe in the depths of my soul. I will always believe that. I, I can take you to passages in Scripture where God convicted me and how he dealt with me. And, and so I, I do believe it was his will, no doubt about it. And, uh, man, I'm so grateful for the four year, a little bit over four years we were able to live there. I loved it. Not all of it. I had some real dark depression, had some real deep depression, dark days some of the darkest days i've ever had and again i believe that was satanic opposition a lot of it was because we were in a land of darkness trying to take the light but just real quickly we had been on the ground just for a few weeks and i think i have told you the story before but man just an unexpected curveball came our way our container hadn't even arrived from the u.s and kip and i are sitting around a table because of the circumstance that happened and i won't even tell you and you just want to take my word, it was just crushing to us. It was, it was, it was uh, beyond description. And we're sitting around a table, and we're trying to decide whether or not we ought to contact the shipping company. I'm serious. After two and a half, three years of raising support, going through all that, traveling to over 100 churches or 100 services plus, you, you, are you serious, Tim? You were sitting around a table, and you've only been on the field in Slovakia for a couple of weeks And you're sitting there talking about, honey, do you think maybe we should, as soon as the thing hits the ground, just turn around and send it back? We need to go back to the U.S. I remember that. It was devastating. It was devastating. But, folks, I look back on it now, and i got to tell you, in my soul, I believe that was orchestrated by Satan. I believe he was opposing us being there because he knew we were there to bring the gospel. He knew we were there as ambassadors for Christ to bring the light to a place of darkness. And listen, it's not just missionaries that go to a mission field. It's right there where you work. And you've got a passion for an unsaved co-worker or for a boss. Satan's going to oppose you. You have a neighbor that you're burdened burden for. You have a family member that you're burdened burden for. You have a schoolmate, maybe kids, okay, that you're burdened burden for. Satan's going to work against you because he opposes the gospel. And don't believe the lie that you're in the wrong place. Just because of opposition. All right? Those three things. Hey, we'll quit with this. You want to see a neat example of the very thing we're talking about? All right? Look at Acts 16. Got your Bibles? And we may have this, I believe, on the screen. <laughs> How about this? Acts 16, we're going to jump around. We're going to read verse 9 through 10, and then we're going to jump over to verse 19. I'm start here quickly. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Now look at this next statement. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now, when they got there, a young lady that was demon-possessed got set free, and was liberated by the gospel of Christ. The Bible, we pick it up in verse 19, it says this, And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, he thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, simple thought. you already there, aren't you? We know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Paul and the company of men, they were where God wanted them to be. Amen? Am I right? Were they where God wanted them to be? Yes or no? Yes. Assuredly gathering, the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel to them. Immediately, we endeavored to go. Guess what? Satanic opposition. Full bore. Even to the point of physical suffering. And i got to tell you, right? If it had been me, I'd probably been thinking, I'm not real sure about that vision. Okay? I'm not real sure God... Was that really God? Maybe, you know, just ate too much that night, okay? And had had a wild dream. I'm not really sure this is where God wants us to be. But folks... We know, based on the Word of God, they were exactly where God wanted them to be. But yet opposition came. Simple thought, simple statement, wind it down. Opposition will come when you're doing what God wants you to do. And it will come when you're where God wants you to be. Satanic opposition will come. Hudson Taylor made this statement, and I'll finish with this. I think it's appropriate right here. It's a really good thought. Listen to this. Hudson Taylor, that great missionary, said this. It doesn't matter, really, how great the pressure is. Now, it can be pressure from affliction. It can be pressure from suffering, from opposition. It doesn't matter. But it doesn't really matter how great the pressure is. It only matters. Listen to this. It only matters where the pressure lies. See that it never comes between you and the Lord. Then the greater the pressure the more it presses you to his breast. You see, if we know we are where God wants us to be, and we're doing what God wants us to do, Hudson Taylor is just simply saying, let the pressure come. If you know you're right with God, all it will do is just press you closer to him. But just make sure that we don't ever let the pressure be something that's coming between me and the Lord. You know, our dear friend, uh, just thought about this, so I'm going to tell you. Our friends, Rick, Ron and Ricky Davis, you know, Ricky's, uh, unless the Lord does a miracle, and he told me this himself just this week, I talked with him, you know, kind of pretty often, text back and forth. You know, Dr. Tom said, hey, unless a miracle happens, you know, your wife is not going to make it. And uh, man, it's such a privilege to walk with them as, as well as we can by phone and text through all this. But Ron and I were talking, and I just tried to encourage him with this thought. I said, Ron, Here's the neat thing about what's going on in y'all's lives. Here's one neat thing, if you can say it that way. You guys know that there's no sin in your lives. You guys know that you're walking with Christ. You guys know that your passion is to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Knowing all that, then you can have the confidence of knowing God is 100% in your corner. And He's in charge of everything that's happening. It's totally out of your hands. Now, what a difference that is. What a difference that is to times when we are going through tough things that we know we've brought upon ourselves. Whole different story. But man, like Hudson Taylor said, if the pressure's coming and it's coming from the outside, all it's going to do is push you closer to Jesus Christ. Hey, i tell you what. There are some amazing stories right here in this auditorium of some intense fire that we have seen. We've seen it with our eyes and we've heard it with our ears. People who are being pressed into a relationship with Christ and by their, own, by their own testimony. It's a relationship like they've never had before. They're experiencing the reality of Christ in a way that they never have before. I've heard those very words. And guess who all the glory goes to? God. God gets the glory for that. Just make sure that pressure doesn't come between us and the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word.